Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Well, today's episode, I actually want to talk to you sort of on two similar but separate sort of topic streams. Um, One is about choosing a fellowship um, and two is a little bit about the fellowship that I'm involved in because um, as it looks like a lot of residencies have gone this year, fellowship interviews are going to be virtual. Um, So, we're going to be doing things very, very differently. And um, in the beginning, um, you know, we have a lot of stuff, but, you know, there's a lot of things that I commonly either tell candidates or candidates ask me. Um, so I'm going to try to summarize that because although some of it may be specific to uh, the fellowship that I'm involved with, I'm sure a lot of things are similar um, to other fellowships, or at least it may generate some questions um, in your head. So, you know, when when I was finishing training, um, I was actually on the fence of looking at a trauma fellowship or a total joint fellowship. Um, and luckily, I had a great mentor um, at the time. And although I just loved the aspect of both surgeries, you know, he really kind of said, listen, you know, you can do both and you can do both um, well now and when you're young. But, you know, in 10 or 15, 20 years, you, do you really want to be, you know, up at two in the morning putting together an open tib fib fracture or pelvis? Or would you rather be doing your elective cases and normal waking hours um, on a scheduled basis? And I thought, huh, yeah. And he said, you know, and the great thing about it is if you do total joints, um, you can always do periprosthetic fractures. You know, the cold trauma is always a nice sort of lifestyle. Uh, and that was... I was heading that direction, um, you know, because I really loved total joints, especially total knees. But that was really the the nail in the coffin for me of going, yeah, you know what? I don't think I want to do a trauma fellowship. And not that there's anything wrong with it, um, but I think you just got to find a fellowship that really kind of bodes to what you want to do. Um, so for me, and some of this is going to be geared more towards, you know, a total joints fellowship. Um, but I think when you're looking for a fellowship, you know, obviously location is a thought, but a lot of times you're going to go where the best training is and where you get accepted. You know, when you get a job, location is going to be a little bit more of an important factor. Um, but, you know, with fellowship, location is nice. So you kind of look to see where you're going to go and where you're going to be happy. But most importantly, what your significant other, if you have one, is going to do when you're working. You know, because if you take them somewhere where they're miserable, it can be a miserable experience for both of you. Um, so you want to make sure that either the location's nice, but that you have help or assistance. Um, but I think a lot of significant others when it comes to medicines, they're strong individuals. And the nice thing is that they can do just about anything for a year. Um, and uh, But it definitely is something to consider. You know, the next thing is, you know, what you're looking for. So for me, when I was in training on the East Coast, um, there were some institutions I was thinking about doing fellowships. And when it came to implants, and that's the question we commonly get asked a lot is, you know, what implants, you know, do you use that, you know, I could have trained somewhere where everybody does the same surgery the same way with the same instruments and the same steps and the same implants. 
And I think that's very good. If you're going to get really, really good at one way with one implant system, um, However, that wasn't what I personally was looking for. So I really like the institutions where you work with different people that all do things slightly differently, that may use different retractors and have different approaches um, and use different implant systems. Because at the end of the day, if you train, you know, at Hospital X, you know, and they use implant A, and then you get a job at Hospital B, um, and they use a totally different implant system, now you start in practice relearning all the nuances of a system. So that's why I think it's really great to have a fellowship where you're exposed to multiple different implant systems. Because at the end of the day, you're going to do revisions. And if you're doing revisions, you need to really have a good understanding of all the systems. You shouldn't be figuring out a system for the first time at a complicated procedure like a revision. So that is something that I look for um, and I believe is an important thing is a, a place that uses different implant systems. You know, the other thing I think is important is the different approaches um, and different instruments. Because even if somebody does, you know, um, the same approach as far as anatomic location, but they use different retractors, that's helpful. And, you know, a lot of people want to use different approaches, especially when it comes to the hip. Um, and this way, you get to do multiple approaches well. Um, so you get to not only choose what you think is best for you, but it also becomes another kind of tool in your bag that when you go to interview, you know, a particular place may want to make sure that you know how to use a particular approach because maybe their guys don't, you know, the anterior is the one that comes to mind for everyone. You train with posterior, you do posterior, you're joining a group. They want a young guy that's going to do anterior. So you definitely want to learn a place or go to a place where they're doing, you know, multiple sort of approaches. Um, but I think the important part of that is at the end of the day, you're going to take all the people that you worked with in residency and all the people that you worked with in fellowship. And most of the times you're not going to do it the way that one doc does it. You're basically going to be this sort of culmination of this approach and that retractor and this leg position because you like different things from different people. And that's what's great about training with different individuals because you can learn all of those different ways and assimilate it and make it your own. Because even if you do it your way, but you then run into trouble, you got 10 other ways that you've also done it. It may not be the way that you do it all the time, but it can get you out of trouble in a particular case based on the anatomy or the patient or the exposure or the problem. So that becomes really, really important. Um, you know, the next thing, you know, when I was looking, you know, at a fellowship for me, um, it wasn't as important, but, you know, research. For some people, research is very important. You know, so you may want to look, you know, does this place do a lot of research? Do they do a little bit of research? You know, they may do a ton of research and you don't want to do that many, you know, research projects. So that may not be the fit for you. Um, so you want to take a look there and see, okay, like how much research do they do and what do I want to do? Um, and then that helps sort of solidify where you're going to rank, you know, those places. You know, the other important thing too is trying to figure out, you know, what the call is like. You know, are you just taking call for your subspecialty of the fellowship? Are you taking general call? Uh, and then also some people always ask, like, can you take more calls? Is there a way to subsidize your salary, you know, if you take call um, at that hospital or for other places? So that may be another way. If you enjoy trauma, enjoy call, you may have a way to not only do more cases, but you may also have a way of making a couple extra bucks on the side. So that's something to consider, you know, when you're looking at a particular fellowship and the institution that it's located within. You know, and then the other important thing is, you know, obviously we're all interested in surgery. You want to look at number of cases and surgeries and how much you get to operate. You know, is it a place where you rarely get to operate and you end up holding hook for the year? 
Um, is it a place where you're going to hold hook for six months and watch and watch and watch, and then the last six months do all the surgeries? Is it a place where you're going to start operating, you know, right away? You know, those are all important things to ask. And, um, you know, definitely if you can talk to previous fellows, um, that usually helps, you know, either strengthen or weaken your thought of that program. So it's really nice if you can kind of look and see maybe who's in practice for a year or two, you can kind of reach out to them and, you know, get, you know, whether or not their fellowship was good for them and if they thought it was a good fit, if it prepared them well for going out into the the world of orthopedics, you know, so those are going to be important things too. Um, and then obviously, you know, the staff, you want to make sure that you're going to get along with staff. Are there other fellows? Are you the only fellow? You know, you're going to have people that you can kind of be comrades with and kind of work together and kind of bounce things off. What's the education like? You know, do they have a strong education program as far as journal clubs and x-ray conferences? You know, those are going to be important things to kind of look into. So for you, that entire year is this kind of culmination of all these trainings to really get focused and get down to the nitty gritty in this little subspecialty. Um, And those are going to be sort of key aspects in what I thought, you know, for me was important to look at. So, you know, that aside, um, and kind of moving on to sort of the next kind of aspect or topic, you know, when I meet um, candidates that are coming in for interviews, you know, a lot of those similar sort of questions and topics come up, you know, so, you know, I talk a little bit about our system. um, And with our system, you know, currently, we have six different providers, um, one of which is very involved with ap- academics. So there's really five active, you know, surgeons. And that's kind of the nice thing is you get to work with five different surgeons, which I think is great, because you learn five different ways of doing the same thing. And you understand their philosophies and how they're all similar and how they're all different. So that I think is a positive And obviously, I'm biased, because I work where I did my own fellowship. Um, but I think that is important. You know, the other thing that I like about our fellowship is the fact that we all use different systems. So the major players in the total joint world um, are used by all the doctors. And you may go from, you know, one doctor to the next, and they may use a different system. Um, Sometimes you have doctors that both use the same system, but they may do things slightly differently. So you get to see how it works well in different people's hands. But, you know, we have different hip systems, different knee systems. Um, as far as approaches, I'm a posterior hip guy. Me, I prefer to do knees all day. But we have anterior people also because we felt that was very important. Um, and every you know couple of years, there's always a new thing. You know, years back, the big thing and the big question was, do you guys do hip resurfacing? And um, I did the training for both um, both systems, and actually never implanted one in a person. And I'm I'm happy I didn't. Um, but that was the big question for a few years, and now you know, it's very rare to see hip resurfacing. Um, and then, you know, the next big thing was navigation, you know, and I've done navigation and I do navigation sparingly when indicated based on deformity, but I don't use it regularly. So when you're looking, you know, the question is, are you exposed to navigation? Because it's good to know how to do it. Um, some of our partners use ortho aligned. So instead of the big navigation system, you basically have the, you know, the smartphone sort of version of navigation for the femur and the tibia. Um, but that's also important. Are you interested in orthosensor and the data that orthosensor gives you? That's important. You know, are you interested in robotics? Um, it's one of those ones that we had a robot from one company, um, not anymore. We're looking at two to three robots from different companies. But again, that's an important thing um, of whether or not you use it on a regular basis of being exposed to it. So one, you can use it in practice. 
but also, too, that when you're looking for a job, that may be something that they're interested in and whether or not you have been trained in the robot, um, and it's something that you can add to the armamentarium. You know, the next thing, you know, is always, you know, how much, you know, people, you know, operate. And, you know, from our standpoint, me, um, we're all a little different. Most of us, it's you basically see one and then you go. Um, I I'm definitely am a believer in you need to take care of the patient. And, you know, I think surgery and I think, I don't think many people would disagree. I think surgery is not a given right, but it's earned. You know, if a person is going to allow you to take care of them and a doctor is going to allow you to, you know, be a participant in the surgery of their patient, you know, you need to know the patient, know the history, know the workup, have looked at labs, have looked at x-rays, have devised a surgical plan, have met the patient, have marked the patient, have paired the room, you know, and then you're ready to operate. You know, it's very different. And I'm sure you've seen this in residency where someone doesn't do any of the work and they walk in expecting to do the case and it's not a sawbones. Um, so for me, you know, I love it when the fellows come in and treat the patients as if they're theirs. And that's the way we kind of look at it is we want you to understand that this person is a person that you're taking care of. They're someone's mom and dad. Um, and you're going to know everything about them because at the end of the day, you know, you're a doctor and a surgeon, not just a surgeon. So you need to be aware, you know, do they have diabetes? Is it well controlled? Do they have kidney disease? Is it well controlled? You know, have they had a blood clot? You know, are we going to put them on the right medicine? Have they had a history of MRSA? Do we have to give them the right antibiotics? You know, do they have a routine knee or hip or do they have a complicated one? You know, how do we prepare for it? What's different about that surgery? What implants did we need? You know, all of those things are things that should be going through your head all the time for every surgery. But, you know, if somebody walks into a revision, and hasn't formulated a plan or talked to the reps, um, I'm not sure many people would believe that they should then do the whole case because they haven't prepared. Um, and you're not putting the patient first. You know, you're putting you first, and, and the patient always comes first, in my opinion. Um, now, as, as far as clinic and surgery, um, I believe clinic's really important because if you go somewhere and you operate and do a thousand cases and you come out of out of fellowship, how do you know who to operate on? And after surgery, how do you know like which knee's too stiff and which knee's too loose and which wound looks red and which one's infected and you know who has instability and who has a fracture and who has subsidence and who has failure of ingrowth? You know, all those little things, you know, what do you do when you spit a stitch? You know, what if you're having a suture reaction, a staple reaction, a dressing reaction? Um, all of those things are important things to see and if you haven't seen or experienced them in training, it's really nerve wracking in, in the real world, you know, because at the end of the day, you um, are getting the phone call. Your nurse is coming to you and go, what do I do? We'll be back after a quick break. Welcome to Fuller Butts, a behind the scenes plastic surgery podcast. Yes, you heard that right. Join your co-hosts, Dr. Sam Fuller and Dr. Dan Butts, board-certified plastic and reconstructive surgeons on an exclusive full-access pass into the world of plastic surgery. Combining their expertise and training, Drs. Fuller and Butts will share medical insights, detailed explanations, and lighthearted humor to keep you entertained and informed. We're certain you'll become passionate about the plastic surgery specialty and between debunking myths, uncovering truths, or just making you laugh out loud at their perspective on this creative and artistic field, we've got something for everyone. 
You're like, I don't know, I've never seen this before. Um, so by seeing, you know, what people do in the office and how they take care of people both before and after surgery um, is really important because the majority of time you really have to know who not to operate on and how to treat them, you know, and how to make someone better without doing an operation and knowing, you know, when it's dangerous to operate on somebody or when you should take somebody back to an operating room or when you should watch them. You know, when do you order labs? When do you aspirate? When do you put them on antibiotics? All of those are important things to think about in the setting of being in the office. You want to make sure that you're going to get, you know, enough time in the office um, that you're going to learn what you need to learn in that year of fellowship training. Um, but then the big question always comes down to, okay, well, what about revisions? That's the big question. So I think nowadays, you know, previously it was, you know, metal on metal, hip resurfacing, navigation, anterior approaches, robotics. You know, the big question that always comes up year after year after year after year is revisions. Now, luckily, I think for patients and luckily for surgeons, the bad, horrible revisions are starting to disappear. I mean, these were the massive osteolysis. Um, this was when, you know, cement was used in the femur predominantly, long stems were used, you got stress shielding, plastics were not made of good quality, they wore out, heads were small, um, and these patients became unstable, and they had massive bone loss in the hip and the knee region, and you were doing these huge reconstructions with cages and cups and bone grafts and hinges and distal femur replacements, and they're all great surgeries, um, but you don't want to have to do a lot of them, and luckily because the implants have improved. The fixation has improved. The polyethylene and the bearings have improved. Those horrible revisions are not seen as frequently anymore, but you're still going to see them. Um, and a lot of institutions, you know, on average, I would say probably about 10%, you know, revision rates. Um, but luckily those numbers have decreased over the years. But on the flip side, what you will see more frequently um, nowadays, I believe, is number one, complex primaries. And number two, periprosthetic fractures. So although you may not see true revisions of failed primaries with all of these problems, if you do enough periprosthetic fractures and complex primaries, you should at the end of the year know all of those little tricks and tips and tools that allow you to walk into any case and take care of it. You know, because if you know how to do a primary total knee, and you know how to put on a stem, and you know how to cut for an augment, and you know how to use a cone, and you know how to convert to a hinge, and you know how to do a distal femoral replacement. All of those things are going to be used whether or not you're doing a complex primary or a periprosthetic, or you're taking out a failed primary and putting that implant in. You know, the hardest part is getting it out. So once you have taken a couple femoral components out, whether or not it's a primary femoral component, or a stemmed femoral component, or cemented or press fit, and the same thing on the tibia, and you've maybe managed an extensor mechanism problem, then whatever problem that you see or run into, you know, whether or not it's a failed primary, um, or a complex primary, or a periprosthetic, you know, all those tools that you've now learned, you can apply to that case. And the same holds true for the hip. You know, if you can convert a primary, um, to a revision or whether or not there's a primary that has a periprosthetic and maybe the stem's loose and you have to convert it or maybe they have massive pelvic osteolysis or instability and you have to remove the cup, bone graft it, use an augment, put a jumbo cup. You know, it's rare, but occasionally you may use a cage, you know, and, and then you start to play with 
modular stems, non-modular stems, and you understand stability, then again, no matter what you deal with, you can take care of it. You know, you just have to understand how to do an extended trochanteric osteotomy. In trauma, you fixed enough femur, so if it's a periprosthetic fracture, you understand fracture fixation techniques and AO principles, so you can fix the femur. But then with training, you understand, you know, do I fix it completely and then do my prosthesis? Or do I do the prosthesis and then reduce the fracture and, you know, fix that around the prosthesis? And that all just comes with time and experience. But just know that if you don't have a high volume of one of those things, complex primaries, periprosthetics, or revisions, as long as you do enough of all of three of those, you will have the tools to tackle any of those problems. And it's also really important that I always kind of tell, you know, people early on is that when you go into practice, you're probably not going to be that busy. You're not going to have a huge elective practice and a whole bunch of elective primary set up. So what I did is I reached out to all the docs in town in my first two years and said, hey, I'm here. I'm new. I finished fellowship. Send me anything you got. You got a periprosthetic fracture. You got instability. You have osteolysis. You have infections. I'll take it all. And my first couple of years, I did a ton of revisions. And what's nice is each of those fills up almost, you know, like a half day in the operating room and you get to meet a whole lot of patients and you get almost like a second fellowship. And after that, almost nothing scares you uh, because you've taken care of all the terrible problems. And then people in town realize, oh, okay, you know, these patients did well. So if I have a problem, I can refer to this guy again. So you open up the door for referrals for some of these complex cases. But then as you take care of those patients, you know, the, the primary care doctors see that, wow, you know, you took care of this really hard problem. I'm going to start to send you some of my chip shop arthritic patients for regular primary total knees and total hips. And that helps build your name and reputation. It helps build your practice in that community. So those are all really, really important things. Um, But I think all those little tips are important to kind of understand and ask, you know, where you're going. So, you know, you want to look at how many fellows, how many docs you work with, what implant systems they use, what approaches they use, you know, is there navigation, is there robotics, you know, do you have fellows that you work alongside with, you know, also is the residence, you know, it's one of the benefits I think of our program in the sense that, you know, it's not a residency at a big center tied to a fellowship, you know, it's a fellowship. And this way you're not fighting for cases with residents. You don't have a chief resident at the end of his year going, Oh, I want to do the case because, you know, I'm going to be going into my fellowship. Um, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, and then also with volume, one of the things that we do, you know, we double scrub a lot. So, you know, if I'm in clinic and one of my partners has a huge revision, Hey, listen, leave clinic, go double scrub with my partner and his fellow or her fellow and see this really cool, complicated case. You know, sometimes places, there's a little bit of animosity of leaving or double scrubbing. And that's something that we don't necessarily have. There's a lot of camaraderie there back and forth that we want people to see all the crazy, complicated cases because it's seeing those things which make you a better surgeon down the road and you can take care of your patient if they have a problem like that in the future. Um, so all those become really, really important kind of aspects and things to think about. So um, as you're looking at these fellowships, you want to start to kind of tabulate things that you think are important and what you're actually looking for and maybe what that place offers. And then you start to have to weigh, you know, do you like that program, that system, those people, those um, the volume? Uh, and is it somewhere that you want to be? And then you can kind of figure out where exactly y- you want to look at interviewing and where you want to look at potentially spending your next year of training. Um, and, you know, again, if you have questions, um, 
about topics that you'd like to hear me talk about in the future, you know, shoot me a line, um, let me know. But definitely, you know, if it comes down to, um, you know, questions on, on fellowship stuff, because I know that's a, a big question a lot of people have, um, you know, and sometimes residents are wondering, like, what kind of fellowship do I want to go into? Or, you know, what what should I think about? What should I ask? What should I look for? You know, feel free, you know, shoot me an email. I'll do my best to respond back to you. Um, until next time, I'm Adam Rosen. Um, you've been listening to the Total Need Tips and Pearls podcast. Stay safe. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.